Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. All right, I want to get after it. Let me read this. One verse, really easy. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me read that one more time. Short, sharp, effective. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Church, whether you're physically here, online, love you guys, high digital, Wherever you are, God is ready to meet you. And when it, whatever he brings, it is always freedom. God has been about bringing freedom since the beginning. This is one of the things that God does. Now, I got to tell you, a lot of what I see as a pastor is, is particularly when I'm engaging with people, and maybe this is you tonight, and you've never been in church before, and you've got big philosophical questions. Those are worth asking, by the way. The big, deep questions of life are worth asking. Don't be afraid of those. But what I often hear is people coming with questions and they're like, I need my information answered. I've got this checklist of stuff, and if you tick it off, then I guess God's real. It's like, well, that's great. In theory, that makes sense, right? If, if everything is ticked off logically, then I'll agree with this principle. But how many of us know that we've been in arguments with people and they've proved us wrong and we've been like, I don't care, stuff you, I'm going. You know, <laughs> we are not purely logical creatures. We have these moments where we go, I need to know this information, and the information is good, but you don't want information. That's fine, but what you want is presence. You want the presence of God in your life, and so do I, because it's the presence that transforms us. It's the presence that breathes life into us, and that's what we're getting after for the next four weeks. That's what we're championing and challenging and inviting you to experience, the very presence of God. And I'm saying it again, you can challenge God in this. You can say, turn up, I want to feel you, turn up, speak to me, and, but just do it for four weeks in a row. Then you know you've been you know, legit about it. It's actually happened. So this is a series, The Power of Encounter. It's designed not just to get you to remember our church's name, although that's great too. This is why you brand things. No, it's, it's designed to get you to have an encounter with Jesus. That's what we are all about here at Encounter Church. That's what we want. We live in a knowledge economy. You might be familiar with this phrase, a knowledge economy. Here's what I mean by that. What, you, what we do is we go about procuring and obtaining as much knowledge as possible because we've even got a phrase for it, right? Knowledge is power. And we've got the internet, this tool of, in theory, excellence and constructive ability at our fingertips. I'm sure that's the only thing people have experienced with the internet, just constructive positive things. And so we have this at our fingertips, and so we Google whatever we want. We ask Siri for directions. We've got knowledge, 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 knowledge. But knowledge isn't enough unless you apply it, right? Knowledge is meaningless unless you do something with it. How many people have been in an exam where they found that out the hard way? Knowledge is useless unless you get to the exam and you can actually apply it. So let me put it this way. It's no use telling me you know how to make me an awesome coffee if you can't make me an awesome coffee. That's not figurative. That's a literal example. I'm offering it to you so you can remember when we catch up for coffee. And it's no use you telling me I know how to play tennis if you then pick up the wrong end of a tennis racket. Like it, You can't just read about it. The knowledge needs to be applied for it to make any difference. And it's the same even more so with presence. So my lovely wife, Jenny, it is not the same thing 
for her to write me a letter telling me that she loves me than it is to be with her in the flesh telling me she loves me, which, of course, she does daily. It's not the same thing. Imagine if Jenny says to me, I love you, and I say to her, I love everyone in this room. It's not the same thing. There's a direction that's important. There's a presence that is important. Now, I know this because, again, like I said last week, I lived overseas for a year, and I would get letters and emails from Jen, and it was lovely, and it reminded me of her, but what I wanted was not just the words on the paper. What I wanted was to see her, to be in the presence of, of the woman who would become my wife. That's what matters in a relationship. It's not just information. It's presence. Here's how I know that to be true. If you've got someone you really like, and you gather a lot of information about them, you know where they go, you know what they like, you know what they do, where they work, everything about their family, but you don't actually have a relationship with that person, that's called stalking, right? <laughs> like, that's just called acquiring information and profiling that's illegal, you know? Don't do that. But if you have a relationship with them, and you know that information for the purpose of caring for them and loving them in a better way, that's a relationship. That's, there are some people in this room who are like, really? <laughs> deleting apps on their phone, you know, it's fine. <laughs> knowledge is only useful if we apply it, okay? And what we want really is not knowledge, but presence. So let me get into that today. I want to talk about presence, and I talk about the different kinds of presence we see with God in the Bible. And I, I want to sum it up in two simple ways. The first is this. If you're a follower of Jesus here, it's no good talking about Jesus if you don't know Jesus. You can't just talk about what you know with Jesus. It's about knowing him personally, you speak out of that relationship, not to it. But here's the second thing. As anybody who's ever tried to get a job knows, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And this is the same thing with God. Now, you and I, friend, we are designed for presence. We are designed to crave the presence of God. In fact, the philosopher Pascal, Blaise Pascal, said that there's a God-shaped vacuum inside every person if you've ever looked around at anything in life and thought there has to be more than this, that's what you're feeling, that vacuum that Pascal talked about. And all through creation, all through human history, we see these examples of God meeting us where we're at. We see in the Garden of Eden, God creates and he's with us. We see in, in, the, uh, in the wilderness with the Israelites that he's with us, them in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting. They build a city in Jerusalem. Well, they take over the city and they build a huge temple. And in the temple is the holiest of holies where the presence of God was. Again and again and again, God is trying to help the Israelites understand it's not just knowledge about me that'll do it for you. It's the presence, the presence of God. And of course, we see this most fully in the New Testament when Jesus... Jesus comes, God incarnate, to be with us, with us. So there's this word in the Old Testament I want us to understand. You're going to practice your Hebrew tonight. You're going to be so good. I can just feel it already. The word is ruach. Everybody say ruach. Ruach, ruach means spirit. That's the word used in the Old Testament for when the spirit of God is present. So you hear in the creation narrative that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. But the thing is, the word ruach, even though it's translated spirit, the most direct definition actually means breath, the breath of God. So if we put that back into those Old Testament passages, it's the breath of God in creation, breathing life out. We hear that Joseph then is, is not just a man filled with God's spirit, but infused with God's very breath. 
we hear about Ezekiel and the army of dry bones. And he says, only you, sovereign God, can fill it with your spirit. Only you, sovereign God, could breathe life into them. It is the very breath we are designed for. And in the New Testament, the New Testament's written in Greek, not in Hebrew. And so you get a different word, a Greek word. And the word in the Greek is pneuma. Pneuma. And you might be familiar with this word because it's the base of the English word pneumatic. Pneumatic effectively means powered by air. But if we take it in that spiritual sense, in the translation of the word spirit, we are to be powered by the spirit. We are to be pneumatic people, powered by the spirit of God. This is what God is craving for us to be, desiring for us to be. See, you thought God was desiring for you to be good. God was desiring for you to be close. That's what he wants. Intimacy is better than perfection. Don't try so hard for perfection, church. Try harder for intimacy. Rest in God. Don't strive for God. Ruach. In John's gospel, after he's resurrected, this is what Jesus does. He appears with his disciples and he breathes on them. He says, receive my spirit. Now, okay, it's COVID time. We're not gonna, don't breathe on each other. Don't do that. But Jesus breathed on his disciples to receive his spirit. It's this intimacy. It's this presence with God we're called to have. Now, there are two kinds of presence generally mentioned in the scriptures. The first is what we might call omnipresence. Everybody say omnipresence. omnipresence. Look how fancy you sound when you say words like this. We'd be walking home like a dictionary. Omnipresence. Omnipresence is when God is everywhere all at once. God is present everywhere all the time. He is in all places. You'd be familiar with this idea, I'm pretty sure. And it's pretty cool. And it's a pretty big idea, but in the scheme of things, it's kind of like knowledge. Because when you go, God is everywhere, you're like, oh, yeah, cool. So you're like, hey, God's going to be with you on Monday. And you're like, yeah, I know, he's everywhere. Yeah. Oh, God loves you. You're like, yeah, he loves everyone. Like, to go back to that example I said before, it's like if Jenny said, I love you to me. And I said, I love you, everyone in this room. You know, it's a little bit impersonal. Now, when we just look at God as an omnipresent God, we treat that like information. I know that God is everywhere, but it doesn't really affect me. It doesn't affect how I live my life. But what we see in the scriptures is again and again, God turns up in power, and he turns up in something that we know as the manifest presence of God. That is, the presence of God is manifesting in a particular place at a particular time among his people to change them, to see amazing, specific works happen. In the Old Testament, we see it again and again. There's interesting examples where like craftsmen are said to be filled with the Spirit of God to have the capacity to do extraordinary things. Or kings and prophets are said to be filled with the Spirit. In the New Testament, not only do we see it in Jesus, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit, but then we see it in the book of Acts. Pentecost comes, the Spirit of God comes down in power, and suddenly the presence of God is everywhere. The manifest presence of God is no longer just this inescapable thing that is too powerful for us. It is something that is actually contained inside of us. We have the power of God. Jesus, at the end of his mission on earth, before he ascends back into heaven, said, all power and authority on earth has been on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And he gives that power, that authority to his disciples. That's Jesus. That's quite a lot of power, just FYI. What it's like is it's like oxygen. Everybody's familiar with oxygen? I know you are. I'm just trying to make sure you're awake. Oxygen. 
If you're not, people, again, don't write that down. You should be familiar with oxygen. Oxygen, you breathe it in, it's good for you. It covers about 21% of the Earth's atmosphere. That's about how much oxygen you're ingesting at any given time. That's good for you, right? That's good for you. Now, again, I'm going to check my notes here because I'm by no means a scientist. But what the oxygen does is it makes its way into our bloodstream and it attaches itself to hemoglobin proteins, and the red blood cells take them all around our body and make sure our body is being oxygenated, all our blood is oxygenated. That's a good and healthy thing. But there is such a thing as having too much oxygen. If you have too much oxygen, though, it can kill you. It can be deadly. If you breathe air with a much higher than normal O2 concentration, the oxygen in the lungs overwhelms the blood's ability to carry it away. And this is what happens. The result is that these free oxygen molecules, they bind themselves to the surface of the lungs, and they begin to shut down the lungs and overwhelm the central nervous system. In the Old Testament, it, that's what it was like when the manifest presence of God turned up. God would turn up in such power that the people in the Old Testament had to, had to at very best, turn their face away. Usually, it was God was turning up in power to one person because very few people were pursuing righteousness in a way that they could even stand in the presence of God. But there's another thing with oxygen, because of course, if too much can be bad for us, too little can be bad for us. And when we have too little oxygen, it's a problem known as hypoxemia. Hypoxemia is a below normal level of oxygen in your blood, and it's a sign of a problem related to breathing or circulation, and it might result in symptoms like shortness of breath, and that will kill you too. A lack of oxygen will kill us just as surely as an excess of oxygen. Now, we might have read these Old Testament passages, and we go, oh, this is why God is meant to be feared. He's angry. He's so powerful. He's angry. It's like, yeah, okay, I think we tend to use that as an excuse. Because what I see, generally speaking, is we are far more likely to be killed by a lack of God's presence in our lives than by an excess. We're far more likely to be killed because we've fallen asleep at the wheel than because we're so hungry for the presence of God that it's overwhelmed us. That's not been my experience personally. So the question is then, what do we do about that? And how do we manage it? Because here's the thing. God's manifest presence is dangerous. When God turns up in power, something changes. Something changes in you. Something changes in the atmosphere. That's what happens. It changes. See, when the coming of the Spirit comes in the Old Testament, we see extraordinary miracles. Joseph understands dreams. Gideon wins wars. Samson defeats his enemies. Ezekiel sees armies of bones rise in a vision. But what brings them to life? It's the breath. It's the breath. It's the manifest presence of God pouring out in this vision. What's the difference? How do we know when God has turned up in a manifest way as opposed to just being everywhere, omnipresent? I mean, the obvious answer is you know when you know because you feel it. There, there is an almost tangible sensation. And if you've been a Christian for more than, more than a couple of months, you probably have experienced something like this, hopefully at church, hopefully at home in your own quiet time with the Lord, where you've been praying and suddenly you feel something. You might feel, feel goosebumps or like a shiver go down you. You might feel like you've been doused in cold water or like there's something in the pit of your stomach. It's the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Feeling of the Holy Spirit. And depending on what kind of tradition you grew up in, depends on how you maybe have experienced this or grown up in this. But God's desire is for you to experience His presence. God's desire is for you to crave His presence in your life. Let me uh, briefly run you through the story of Moses. 
See, Moses, very famous in the church, very famous in the Torah, in the Hebrew Bible. He, he is uh, one of the great heroes of the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. Moses is effectively uh, an adopted kid. He, he grows up uh, in the Egyptian palace as a young Jewish boy, he grows up to become a man, goes back and sees his people, the Hebrew people. He looks around the palace, all the Egyptians look different to him. He sees his Hebrew people in slavery. And he goes down there to do something about it, ends up killing a guy, which is a tough way to get started with being a liberator of people. Gets scared, flees, goes into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, he's escaping for a while, and he comes across this astonishing thing, a bush that burns without being consumed. The bushes, by the way, in that desert did that all the time. They would spontaneously combust because of the conditions and the climate. But the fact that it wasn't consumed is what made it a miracle. That was what made it a miracle. And so Moses is there. He's tending his sheep. This bush is on fire. The voice of God is coming out. It's speaking to Moses. And in Exodus 3, we hear this. Moses gets this mission. And we think, yes, this guy is a leader. He's a liberator. And then we get to Exodus 4, and Moses is like, God, I have a question. Um, I don't think I'd be very good at this job. Do you, do you have another one? Do you have any other jobs? And God's like, sorry? What, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I just, I'm a bit scared. God's like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm showing you a miracle. This bush is burning and not being consumed. I'm speaking to you. The presence of God is here. And Moses is like, yeah, but I'm pretty scared. And God's like, oh, for goodness sake. Okay, the staff in your hand, throw it down in the ground. And Moses does and turns into a snake. He's like, oh, he's like, now pick it up. Picks it up again, turns back into, the, into a staff. And Moses is like, wow, still pretty scared though. He's like, okay, put your hand inside your jacket. So he puts his hand inside his jacket. He takes it back out and it's leprous. He has leprosy. Then God says, okay, pop it back in your jacket and take it out. You're clean. See, see how my power is going to be with you? And Moses is like, yeah, no, I do. I do. Here's the thing, though. Not very good at speaking in public. And God's like, what? I've been showing you miracles left, right, and center here. Is this not enough? He's like, nah, I'm not, I'm not a very good public speaker, though. And God, at this point, God's like, just ask your brother to do the talking, okay? I've given you the power. Just ask him to do the talking. You youngest kids, you know what I mean. Every time you needed something from your parents. Ask your brother to do the talking for you. And so Moses is like, okay, okay, all right, I'll do that. Now, here's, here's what I want you to catch from Exodus 4. Not that Moses was useless. He was great. What I want you to catch is that Moses didn't turn from a bad leader into a good leader. He was a scared guy who had run away. And when God sent him back to Egypt, he was a scared guy who had run away. He was the same man with the same fears and bigger problems. The only difference was the presence of God had met him and the presence of God went with him. And some of you, you're here today and you feel like your problems, your struggles, whether you're at uni, whether it's a school thing, whether it's a relationship thing, whether it's a work thing, a family thing, you think it's too big but you're looking at all the outcomes, all the solutions you're trying to get at in your own strength. You can't get there. You need to be looking at Jesus, fixing your eyes on God, asking God to come and intervene in this moment. Come on, I'm preaching here. The Holy Spirit needs to come into your life. You need the Spirit of God to do a work in those moments. You cannot do them on your own. That is what has led you here. And so Moses goes back into Egypt with the Spirit of God on him, the presence of God with him, and frees his people. Not because he's miraculously a better leader, but because God is 
with him. If you hear nothing else, hear this. You don't need to be upskilled. God doesn't send Moses away for a conference and say, come back with five new tools on how to be a better public speaker. You don't need to be upskilled. You need the presence of God in your life. That's what you're really hungering for. That's what you really want. It's like the root of all our deepest desires is to be known, to be affirmed, to be loved. In God, you have all of that. You are known, you are loved, you are sent, you are empowered, and God is with you. But it worries me that we get hung up on knowledge, church. Like, knowledge is good. These big questions are worth asking. The questions of life are worth asking. But you don't want knowledge. You want presence. Like, give me, let me give you three quick tips that you need to do based on Moses' life. And then we're going to get back into some worship. Here's the first one. What happens when we encounter the presence of God? Number one, we get convicted. We get convicted. Now, what's a conviction? A conviction is a challenge from God. It's a challenge to our behavior. It's a challenge to our spirits. Maybe there's something you're doing that you need to stop doing, and God is just hitting you in the heart, and sometimes it almost feels like you've been spiritually punched in the guts. God convicts you, and you're like, oh, yep, yep, that's it. Or maybe, and in Moses we see that, right? He gets convicted of his calling to be a leader. Or maybe it's the second point, and that is that God is changing you. When we encounter God, God changes you. What you don't get to do is come to God and go, hey, let's talk, you and I. I'll tell you some things. You tell me some things. You do you. I'll do me. We'll depart as equals. That's, that's not how it works. The presence of God comes in power because God is power. God is love, but he is also power. And so he changes us. He changes Moses, not from a bad leader into a good one, not from a bad man into a good man, but from a dead man spiritually into a man alive and filled with the Spirit of God. That's what happens to Moses. And here's the third thing that God does. He frees us. He frees us. Moses was burdened by his past, burdened by his history, burdened by his people, burdened by his sense of what he could and couldn't do. And God says, I will be with you and that'll free you. And what I find here is that there's a lot of us, we're, we're pretty bound emotionally. There's a lot of us here that are pretty capable adults until something goes wrong and then we become emotional train wrecks. God's here to set you free from that. What a gift emotional stability would be to your life. What a gift it would be to your future spouse to be an emotionally stable human being because the Spirit of God is in you. Now, we, though, we tend to resist the Holy Spirit. We tend to resist it because nobody likes being convicted, really. Because when you're convicted, you have to do something wrong to get convicted, right? That's how criminals get convicted. We get convicted. God speaks to us and it says something. We're like, ah, I don't really want to hear that. And so we try and avoid this moment. Or we don't want to change. Because even for those of us who like change, change is hard. You and I, we've just been living through this COVID moment of change, haven't we? It's exhausting. Change constantly, like be on this Zoom, get up. Now you can go back to school. Okay, no, now you can't again. You know, the rules are changing constantly. It's tiring. But we need to change if we're going to become more like Jesus, which is the object of our lives. So I've met plenty of people who don't want to encounter the Holy Spirit because they don't want to be convicted. I've met plenty of people that don't want to encounter the Holy Spirit, don't want to encounter God because they don't want to be changed 
I've never met anyone who doesn't want to encounter God because they don't want to be free. I've never met anyone who in their life says, I don't want more freedom. I don't want the presence of God to set me free from the baggage of my family. I've never met anyone who says, I don't want to be broken of this addiction. I don't want to be broken of these behaviors. I've never met anyone who doesn't want to be free. But if we want the freedom, we need to trust God's process. Let me show you how this happens in a moment. In a moment of time, there is this story in Scripture where Jesus is on his way to heal a little girl. And a crowd is packed around him and he's focused. He's got a mission. He knows what he's about to do. And he goes to, he's on his way to heal this little girl. And in the midst of the crowd, he stops and he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, everyone touched you. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, no, 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 no. Who touched me? I felt power go out of me. Who touched me? And this, and this lady, trembling, puts her hand up. You see, it's a, it's a woman who's been bleeding for years, years and years. It's a woman who has almost given up hope in her life. It is a woman who has said, I've tried doctors, I've tried home remedies, I've tried just hoping for the best, and it hasn't worked. In fact, I've tried praying from a distance, but for some reason it's not doing what it's meant to be doing. So I want to go to the source. I'm so desperate in my life for something to change. I'm so desperate for breakthrough in this healing, breakthrough in my life that I need to go to the source. I need, what if I just touched Jesus' cloak? What if I was that hungry? that desperate, that is what we need. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the woman admits it. And he says, sister, your faith has healed you. And the woman leaves healed. If If God can do that through his power in the person of Jesus while being interrupted in the middle of a crowd on his way to do something else, what can he do in your life right now? How hungry are you for the presence of God? That's the question you've got to ask yourself, church. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.